healthcare system is broken, but it doesn't have to be. This is Revenue Cycle Optimized by Infinix Healthcare. We discuss the latest challenges in the revenue cycle space and provide actionable tips on how to overcome them at your organization. Welcome back to Infinix's Revenue Cycle Optimized podcast. Uh, This week, I am happy to be joined by Julie Graham. Julie is our Senior Coding Manager um, and oversees our coding for our Enhanced Revenue Solutions Division. So happy to have you back here, Julie. Thank you so much for having me, Kate. I'm happy to be here. So today we're going to focus on couple of modifiers that can be a little bit tricky for folks to know when and where to use them correctly. Um, so we're going to focus on modifiers 25 and 59. So Julie, let's jump right in. Let's start with modifier 25. What can you tell us about that? Well, one thing I think is important for providers and for coders to remember is that Modifier 25 is always on the OIG radar and constantly under scrutiny. They closely watch this modifier to make sure that it's being appropriately applied to uh, EM codes. So, mm. first, we have to understand the definition of modifier 25, and we see the definition states a significant, separately identifiable evaluation and management service by the same physician or other qualified healthcare professional on the same day of the procedure or service. So what is a significant and separately identifiable service? This is a service that is above and beyond usual pre-op and post-op care associated with a performed procedure or test. And important to remember there is an inherent amount of EMM in every minor procedure and some diagnostics. Different diagnoses aren't required according to CPT, but best practice is to have a different diagnosis to to support a separately uh, significant identifiable service. There should be documentation of the new problem different to the initiation for the previous procedure, medical decision-making, determining risk, thought process, and treatment plan, including the reason for ordering testing procedures. So different diagnoses are the best way to support this. So if you've reported a procedure with AFib, and you're also seeing that patient for AFib on a, with a scheduled test, you want to make sure that your ENM has a different diagnosis to support medical necessity. Another important thing about modifier 25 is the pre-op and post-op care. So uh, preoperative assessment includes thorough medical history, physical examination, risk assessment, and system-specific evaluations. So the goal is to identify and address potential concerns prior to a major surgery or testing. And when we look at questions we can ask ourselves for when modifier 25 is appropriate, one of those is were the physicians or other qualified healthcare professionals evaluation and management of the significant problem above and beyond the normal preoperative and postoperative work? So you have to make sure that what I just spoke about If any of that is included, is not beyond that work, you cannot report modifier 25. If it is beyond the preoperative and postoperative work, then yes, a ENM may be reported with modifier 25. And we all know that modifier 25 is only reportable 
on or appended to uh, E&M service codes. So 99212 through 99215, your consult codes, new patient codes 99202 through 99205. Uh, so it always must be appended to an E&M. It's never appended to a procedure code. Another thing we want to look at, this is a big one that I see a lot. Was the procedure or service scheduled before the patient encounter? So obviously in cardiology, the physicians order a lot of tests and oftentimes those tests are already scheduled and then the provider also sees the patient. However, if the procedure or service is scheduled before the patient encounter, it is not medically necessary to append um, 25 to that ENM code. Again, you have to make sure that the patient is being seen for something beyond what the procedure or testing was ordered for. And it really is crucial for physicians to document this clearly. If the patient came in for a stress test due to palpitations and the doctor sees the patient after that test to give them results, that's included in post-op. That is not, did not be reported with a separately um, identifiable E&M service. However, if during the stress test, the patient experiences a new problem or a new complaint or comes to the provider after that testing saying they have a new problem or a new complaint and the, the uh, provider does a workup, then yes, you can report modifier 25. You can also report modifier 25 if there are symptoms, signs, or conditions that the physician or other qualified healthcare professional must address before deciding to perform a procedure or service. We often see this with new patient codes, or excuse me, with new patient visits. The new patient comes in with a problem, they have chest pain, uh, hypertension, shortness of breath, or otherwise, and the physician decides at that point that he wants to do further cardiac workup to determine the etiology of that problem. You can report a modifier 25 on that. It's harder to get the modifier 25 on an established patient when there's a procedure that's already scheduled. So it's very important that you make sure that you meet the, docu or the documentation requirements for using modifier 25. Another example I want to bring up is the patient. So let's, let's look at an example of were the physicians or other qualified healthcare professionals evaluation and management of the problem significant and beyond the whole preoperative and postoperative work. An example of no would be when a patient is scheduled to come into your office for a cardiovascular stress test and the physician also completes a history and performs a limited examination specifically related for the cardiology stress test, your office should only code for the cardiovascular stress test. And also, if the patient is seen after testing simply to go over those results of the procedure or testing, you would not report that ENM with a modifier of 25. However, if the, new if the test or procedure yields a new finding or diagnosis that requires additional workup to determine a course of treatment associated with the risks and MDM focused on the new problem, you can report that with a different diagnosis and modifier 25. Another scenario where the doctor uh, can report a modifier 25 is, is there one or more diagnosis presented that is being addressed or affecting the treatment outcome? 
So let's say an established patient visits her cardiologist for a follow-up for hypertension and congestive heart failure. The patient also complains of right leg pain with numbness and coldness of the limb. So the physician performs the problem focus history and exam, evaluates the patient's hypertension, determines the blood pressure was higher than usual, and adjusts the medication regimen. Then the physician also evaluates the right leg and determines further workup is warranted and orders an arterial duplex study. Since the physician evaluated the right leg before performing the arterial duplex, but also evaluated other problems, uh, the hypertension and CHF, and based on the documentation, billing an E&M and the procedure on the same day with the modifier 25 attended would be appropriate. When we're talking about was the procedure or service scheduled before the patient encounter, I see this a lot also too with device evaluations, specifically device programming codes where the patient has already been scheduled for that device programming, but they're also scheduled for a follow-up. And I know this is very convenient for patients because, as you know, a lot of our patient demographics for cardiology, the patients are older and it's easier for them to come in and have that procedure and see the doctor. However, this is another situation where if that follow-up is focused solely on the programming results and speaking to the to the patient about that, we don't want to bill that an ENM in addition to that the uh, interrogation of a pacemaker or ICD. If the patient is seen after that interrogation or programming and they are seen for a different reason or the, the physician follows up with them on other problems they have, hypertension, maybe you know, something unrelated to the pacemaker or the ICD, but modifier 25. So those are the few situations where modifier 25 is appropriate. With a new patient or in times where there's new there's signs, symptoms, or conditions um, that must be addressed before performing a procedure or service, um, when the physicians or qualified healthcare professionals' evaluation and management of the problem is significant and beyond the normal preoperative and postoperative work. Um, and when the procedure is scheduled uh, before the patient encounter, we have to make sure that we meet the documentation requirements to actually report an EM with a modifier 25. And then the last one is there one or more diagnoses present that is being addressed or affecting the treatment or outcome? Yes, that's another situation where you can bill a modifier 25. But CMS and all third-party insurances are very strict about this. Some of them are even starting to request medical records to support this. And this also goes in the hospital. You know, when the patient is seen in a subsequent visit, the 99231 through 99233, but the physician already ordered that heart cath at the initial inpatient consult encounter, however, the physician follows up with the patient after heart cath, but doesn't order anything new, isn't seeing the patient for anything new, is simply just following up with them, that does not meet modifier 25. So this is under a lot of scrutiny and insurances are always making sure that, that you have appropriately applied the modifier 25 and they will do so, as said, by oftentimes requesting the medical record. Any areas where you feel like coders are missing using modifier 25 
or they're using it in a way that will flag. I mean, you mentioned OIG. Any any areas where any recommendations? Yeah, absolutely. On that yeah the the uh, the subsequent visits, uh, especially, mm-hmm. I see this a lot because you know a patient may be in the hospital for a long course. They may be in there three or four days, and they're being seen. You know, not only does the doctor have to treat them initially and order those that test, they are also seen in follow up. And this is an area that can get really tricky because you have to make sure when you review that progress note that the patient was seen for a different reason or there was a new problem or complaint because if it was directly related to the course of care or to the already ordered procedure or test. There's no significant E&M with that because the codes that have a zero-day or a 10-day global, you don't want to bill an E&M on the same day of that service because it's included in that service. There's an inherent E&M within that procedure. So unless the patient is seen for a reason beyond that test on the same day, you don't want to, you don't want to bill for that E&M. Same with procedures that have a 10-day global. You have to really make sure that your documentation supports building a modifier 25 that is not related to that procedure or test. And then again, Mm -hmm. with codes that have a 90-day global, you have to make sure that that, that when you're seeing the patient, it is for a reason beyond that testing if you want to bill for a procedure, or excuse me, if you want to bill for an E&M, because it's all bundled with those global days. The ENMs are bundled unless they're for a significantly separately identifiable reason. That makes sense. Anything else on modifier 25 or should we jump to to 59? That's really uh, all I have on modifier 25, just understanding what pre and post-op care is included in what included in in pre-op and post-op care um, mm-hmm. making sure that you meet that definition of modifier 25. And like I said, best practice is to build that modifier or build that ENM service when you're reporting modifier 25 with a different diagnosis to support that, even though CPT says it's not required. But that different diagnosis really supports the medical necessity of reporting a new ENM code with modifier 25. Got it. Okay, great. Let's talk about 59. All right. So modifier 59 is also used quite a bit, especially in cardiology. Modifier 25 is for a distinct procedural service. And this is defined in CPT as under certain circumstances, it may be necessary to indicate that a procedure or service was distinct or independent from other non-ENM services performed on the same day. Modifier 59 is used to identify procedures and services other than E&M that are not normally reported together but are appropriate under the circumstances. Documentation must support a different session, a different procedure or surgery, different site, different organ system, separate incision, excision, separate lesion, or separate injury. So there are a lot of instances where we report modifier 59 in cardiology. It's actually the most reported modifier that affects NCCI, National Correct Coding Initiative Processing, and it can never be appended to an E&M service, which most coders do know. Some facts about modifier 59 is 
If the correct coding modifier indicator, CCMI of zero, is attached, it indicates that the code should never be reported together by the same provider for the same beneficiary on the same date of service. If they are reported on the same day of date of service, the column one code is eligible for payment and the column two code is denied. We often see this with mutually exclusive procedures. Um, let's take ventricular assist devices. The ventricular assist devices, they all bundle to each other. So if you want to bill for a VAD using 33990 and 33995, those are going to be mutually exclusive. You can only bill one or the other. The physician can bring the patient back on another day and insert another VAD, but that's not a likely scenario since VADs are usually placed for very critically ill patients such as cardiogenic shock, heart failures during a procedure. So that's an example of a mutually exclusive or an indicator of zero saying that only one code will be paid. A, um, a CCMI of one indicates the codes may be reported together only in defined circumstances, circumstances which are defined on the claim using specific NCCI-associated modifiers. A good example of this is when a procedure is done um, with heart cath. If providers ordered the patient to have a heart cath, patient had a, some chest pain or some angina that is recurring, so he decides to do a heart cath to go and look at the coronary arteries to see where the etiology is. And while doing that diagnostic heart cath, then decides to do a percutaneous coronary intervention. So let's say the provider does the left heart cath where he looks at both the right and left coronary arteries and then crosses the aortic valve. And due to this diagnostic procedure, he sees that there is atherosclerosis in the LAD, the left anterior descending, and he decides to do a stent in that left anterior descending artery. So we are going to report 93458 with modifier 59 or XU for Medicare. And then the PCI code 92928, and we append that modifier 59 to the heart cath, because otherwise the heart cath is included. If the, the heart cath is not diagnostic in nature, or if there is no previous study, or if the previous study has changed and the doctor feels he needs that it doesn't support what he needs to look at now, that's when we can report a heart cath. And again, we report that with modifier 59 or XU for Medicare. Another place we see this modifier being used is with lower extremity revascularizations. CPT 37220 through 37238, I believe. So the physician decides he's going to look at the patient's legs They've been complaining of some problems down there. Maybe they have peripheral artery disease. Uh, they're having numbness or coldness in a leg, and he wants to go and find out the etiology of the patient's symptoms. So he performs a, he goes in through maybe the right common femoral, goes up and performs an abdominal aortography, and then all of this he's going to do a runoff or an extremity angiogram to look at those vessels in more detail. The 75625, which is the abdominal aortography, does not need any modifiers other than 26. 
However, the extremity angiogram 75712 or 75716 would require a modifier 59 or XU for Medicare. Otherwise, that service is going to be bundled into the lower extremity revascularizations. 75630 would also require a modifier 59 or XU with the lower extremity revascularizations because CPT 75630 also includes the extremity angiogram. So if you do extremity angiograms or you do an abdominal aortography from one calf placement with bilateral runoff, the 75630, you're going to have to append modifier 59 or XU for Medicare on that procedure to get that paid. Otherwise, it will be denied by insurance as included within the procedure. Um, another one I see is a big one in the office. The, the MCOTs are very, very popular. This is the where they, you know, want the patient to have an event recorder that is looking at their, looking for dysrhythmias or arrhythmias. And so the patient comes in to be seen because they're having palpitations or chest pain or whatnot, and the, the physician decides to order an MCOT, 93228, 93229. However, a routine EKG was done, 93000. The routine EKG actually bundles to the, the MCOT procedures, 93228, 93229. So it's important that the physician, if he's doing, if he or she is doing a routine EKG, do not report that on the same day that you're ordering and having the patient start an MCOT recorder or event recorder because it will bundle. Now, if the EKG is done for a different reason, Aside from why he is ordering the MCOT, then you need to put a 59 modifier on the EKG. Otherwise, these codes will bundle. And we receive a lot of denials for this because it's cardiology. When you go see the cardiologist, routine EKGs are typically done. That's just, you know, how it is in cardiology. So it's very important that if the EKG is done for a reason, aside from the MCOT, that the the provider document that clearly so that we know we can add modifier 59 to that EKG. Otherwise, we may have to adjust off the EKG in order to get the MCOT paid. And the MCOT is obviously a more expensive procedure and with higher reimbursement. And then another procedure I see or another scenario I see are hospital EKGs with a heart calf. So, you can report an EKG with a heart cath. However, you have to meet certain requirements. So in the, in the NCCI policy manual, chapter 11, section 1.16, there is an explanation of why this edit exists. It says a cardiac catheterization procedure or percutaneous coronary artery intervention procedure may require ECG tracings to assess chest pain during the procedure. The ECG tracings are not separately reportable. Diagnostic ECGs performed prior to or after the procedure may be separately reportable with modifier 59 or XU for Medicare. So if the EKG was run during or after the procedure to ensure there was no abnormal changes in response to the procedure, those EKGs would also bundle. 
So you have to make sure that the EKG performed in the morning was truly diagnostic. And that's what Modifier 59 supports, is that it was a truly diagnostic EKG. And it has to be for a reason that prompted the physician to order the diagnostic EKG. The reason for that EKG should be documented on the EKG report or the order for the EKG. If there is no diagnostic or no diagnosis documented, that would increase the likelihood that it was more than likely just a baseline monitoring EKG, which is not separately reportable. So it's best for coders to that providers really document why they're ordering this EKG so that we can bill it appropriately to make sure that we can actually bill it with modifier 59. Otherwise, it does bundle to the hard cash. I have a modifier 59 tip sheet, and it kind of says the same thing that listed in CPT, but the appropriate uses for modifier 59 is a different session, a different procedure or surgery, different site or organ system. Uh, if two procedures are performed at separate anatomical sites or at separate patient encounters on the same date of service or separate incision or excision, a separate lesion, a second injection procedure when protocol requires two separate sites or when the patient has to come back for a separately identifiable service. Modifiers XE, XS, XP and XU give greater reporting specificity in situations where you use modifier 59. And those are the modifiers for Medicare. Um, we also evaluate other anatomical modifiers such as RTLT, identifying the right and left. And then there's many other modifiers. There are also the coronary modifiers, LC for left coronary, LD for left descending LM for left main, RC right coronary, or RI ramus intermedius. So those are situations where you would most report modifier 59 and appropriate uses of modifier 59 would be to establish more descriptive modifier when another, excuse me, when another established more descriptive modifier is available and more, more appropriate. You would never use a modifier 59 on ENM to report a separate and distinct ENM service with a non-ENM service performed on the same date, that would be your modifier 25. When a valid modifier exists to identify the services, when documentation does not support the separate and distinct status, and when used to indicate multiple administration of injections of the same drug, or in cases where the NCCI table lists a procedure code pair with modifier indicator of zero, which is your mutually exclusive codes, where one code will be paid, but the other won't be paid. Any scenarios where you see it common for folks to use it inappropriately or any concerns around compliance and the use of it appropriately? Really just making sure that the documentation actually supports the modifier 59, you know, especially with the EKG, it must be diagnostic with the lower extremity revascularizations with the extremity angiogram. Especially on those, there should also be findings of those extremity angiograms and of the abdominal aortography to support billing modifier 59. The physician may say that he did the extremity angiogram, but there's actually no findings in the report. 
So that's another area that coders have to be savvy in to make sure that the document is truly supported with the document within the documentation of the procedure performed and the findings. All right. Any last minute words of advice, words of wisdom for folks about either of these modifiers? Really scrutinize your E&M documentation, the provider's documentation, you know, make sure that if it were to come back and they wanted to do an audit or they want to request medical records, make sure that you feel confident that that E&M documentation truly supports a modifier 25. If there's any question about it, I suggest making a query with the physician asking him, hey, did you see this patient, especially with, you know, the test results? Did you see this patient for another reason? And then educating your physicians on, hey, in this scenario, when you do see a patient who has a procedure scheduled, make sure if you're trying to bill an E&M too, that you're seeing the patient for a reason beyond that procedure or test that was ordered. That would be what I would suggest because it, sometimes it's hard to identify and look and make sure does it really support modifier 25, especially with follow-up visits, because it's right. not technically a new problem. You know, they're being seen in follow-up too for things that they've already been seen for. So that's where we really need the physicians to come in with strong documentation so that we can support reporting the the pacemaker and the ICD programming interrogation, or we can support billing a DNM the same day they've had a stress test. And then modifier 59, make sure that you adhere to CMS and NCC guidelines, especially with like playing the heart cath with the PCI. You have to make sure that that heart cath is diagnostic in nature, that there's no previous diagnostic heart cath or following the, the three scenarios listed in CPT where you can report the, the heart cath with PCI very important to know your to know those coding guidelines and to ensure that the documentation also supports it. I have seen PCI cases where the physician documents that a heart cath was already done and then they'll do a heart cath, maybe just a you know a coronary angiography, a 93454, just to look before they do the procedure. Um, but like I said, a diagnostic heart cath has already been done. So in those cases, it would not be appropriate to report an additional heart cath. It would only be appropriate to report the percutaneous coronary invention, the PCI. It's always interesting. I'm sure you feel this more than I do, but you know, we start to sound like a broken record, right? Make sure the documentation supports the code. But yet, it's always... You know, I think it's always the well, number one problem, right? And causes oh, yeah. denial. Right. And I think that, you know, while EHR systems are great, they really are. They, they lessen the burden on physicians and it's easy to click and put stuff in. It's also kind of a hindrance and it's it kind of, it creates a problem and a challenge for coders because oftentimes we need to go back and look at previous notes and see, well, this has already been documented. A lot of times it's, it has a tendency to use this cut and paste, you know, from every visit to the wow. next. And it's really hard to decipher for coders, okay, well, what's really being done here? Because this is the same thing you said 
at Johnny's visit six weeks ago. So what's really going on here? What's right. new? What, what are you truly treating? So, and that makes it especially hard when you're trying to support modifier 25, especially hard. <laughs> Do you think it's because, I mean, the EMRs, the EHRs, they definitely make things faster. There's so much automation behind that, but it almost becomes kind of robotic. And so a lot of that nuance isn't captured. Is that what you see happening? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it, 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 I mean, it has, yeah, it has simplified. It's that automated, you know, yes, all of that. And, you know, we really need the physicians to tell us, you know, what, why, how, and, you know, if they could really talk about what's going on, I'm going to address this. Why does this need to be addressed? What is the risk associated? Was this a new problem? Is this an established problem? That would right. be extremely helpful, you know, going back to your soap notes, which are very, very old school. But yeah. if providers would document in the EMR, EHR with that in mind, okay, I'm going to document. So using that, you know, that criteria in mind, mm-hmm. it would really help the, help the documentation more because then they have to answer the subjective part, the objective part, the assessment and that plan all of that. It really, it really helps coders and it helps make sure that your documentation is clear to support any additional services that you need, especially for established patients. Lots of really, really good advice, Julie. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing your, your wisdom with us. Always a pleasure and always, always learn a lot. So we appreciate that. I appreciate it. Thanks everyone for listening and don't forget to like and subscribe the podcast on iTunes or Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts and stay tuned for lots more revenue cycle intelligence and tips and ideas on how you can optimize your revenue cycle. Thanks for joining us. Subscribe to get notified when our next episode is online. For more information for how we can help you increase reimbursements at your company, check out our website at infinix.com. That's I-N-F-I-N-X dot com.